Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are going to be having an interview with Ronnie Cummins for our Regenerative Agriculture Week. Ronnie runs, of course, the Granite Consumers Association, and that is one of the nonprofits that we've been uh, supporting uh, regularly uh, by um, donating a significant portion of our revenues to help support the mission because it's it's not just uh, enough or sufficient to give you the information. We have to sort of pave the way and make it easier to do these things, and Organic Consumers organization is one of the or is it one of the groups that we work with to facilitate that process. So welcome and thank you for joining us, Ronnie. Good to be with you today. All right. So what are the updates since the last time we had this discussion and what's new? You're actually in Mexico, I would, uh, which is a lot warmer than your normal rains in Minnesota <laughs> on the year. So yeah, OCA, Organic Consumers Association, we're a family of organizations that include uh, Regeneration International. Uh, and in Mexico, we have a research farm for Regeneration International uh, and a, a staff of uh, about 50 people down here, mainly young agronomists and young farm workers. And then we have an activist office in Mexico City. Um, we also have a research farm way up in northern Minnesota but we don't do too much uh, farming there in the middle of the winter, except our in our deep winter greenhouse, which is pretty amazing, where we are growing green vegetables now, even though it's 20 below zero, but you have to have a specially designed uh, greenhouse uh, that, you know, there's very few of them right at this point. There's five of them in Minnesota, but we have one of them at our OCA headquarters. Is that very energy intensive to keep the environment warm enough to support the plants? Well, there's a, it's, no, it's solar powered. Uh, there's a, this deep solar, uh, deep winter greenhouse. It's solar powered. <clears throat> the glass is pretty darn expensive, uh, but it's very efficient. And we have a, we have a backup uh, natural gas heater in case it gets too cold at night in the greenhouse. But uh very rarely have we ever had to use that in the last five years. So there is a way uh, to grow uh, vegetables year round, green vegetables year round, uh, but it's it's gonna need to, we have to stop prioritizing GMO soybeans and corn <laughs> in the Midwest and start prioritizing food for real people uh, if we're gonna do that. Down here in Mexico, it's a it's a totally different situation where we're we're in a semi desert area uh, in, near San Miguel de Allende, and so our our research on regenerative and organic food here is focused on <clears throat> how can you grow a bunch of food and uh, basically restore the environment when you don't have uh, wells, you don't have 
um, <clears throat> rainfall eight months a year. We get rain three or four months a year, and then we get no rain the rest of the year. So it's necessary to use all these permaculture uh, type practices. We have these ponds where we catch millions of, of uh, liters of water from the mountains. Uh, we have cisterns below all the buildings. We catch the water on the roofs and put it into the cisterns. And we have composting toilets, recycled shower water, and we try to grow crops and trees that are, uh, you know, adapted to low moisture. But we've hit on some uh, techniques that uh, Mercola has uh, helped us publicize over the years to use native desert plants, in our case, agave, and the trees, the mesquite and wasache, to basically regreen the desert and produce some uh, fermented animal feed silage uh, for livestock that's inexpensive and that really is uh, healthy for the animals. So I'm excited. I've had to spend a lot of the last couple of years dealing with the COVID uh, crisis and the disinformation that the government and industry have put out. Uh, but I've uh, been able yeah, to- we, we wrote a book. Positive. We wrote a book. We wrote a book last year. <laughs> the truth about COVID-19, which was number one <laughs> in the country. Yeah. So, so I got a question for you. How many inches of rain do you get down there in Mexico where you're at? San in a good year, we get 20, 20 inches. Uh, the problem is that we get it in July, August, and September. And then you don't get maybe we had one slight drizzle uh, in January. But so the technique is uh, how do you how do you conserve as much water? How do you save as much water? And how do you grow uh, crops uh, yeah. year round? How so? How much of the water are you to save? How many millions of gallons do you capture and store? For this farm, we've got about seventy-five acres, so we are able to save twelve million liters or three million gallons of water a year, which okay. is. Uh, you know, until recently was adequate for what we were doing, but mm -hmm. now we've geared up to produce uh, a really exciting uh, project, reforestation project, where we we take the the limbs of healthy mesquite trees, uh, and it's called air layering, and you can turn these uh, limbs into uh, full blown trees. I mean, you cut through the bark on the limb, you do. Uh, you add some natural hormones to this. You have a little bag that goes around the, the branch of the tree uh, that is filled with compost. And then after three or four months on the tree, you can remove that branch and root it into, uh, we root it either directly into the soil or into containers. And you end up with a like our one-year-old mesquite trees are as big as a seven-year-old mesquite tree from a, from a seed. And so it's a, it's a method that we're really excited about. Uh, people in the southwestern U.S., Texas, and the southwest are very familiar with uh, mesquite because there's so many of them. Uh, Texas, I believe, has 55 million acres alone of mesquite. And so the pods, they're like... Uh, uh, bean pods on the trees, and they're they're highly nutritious. Actually, the uh, the flour uh, you can bake with it. Uh, 
for human food and animals love the pods as an animal feed. So, so when you're growing these um, mesquite trees and they're mature, do they help retain the water in the soil? over, over the <clears throat> Yes, the mesquite trees can, you know, their roots, because they're a desert native tree, their roots go way down. They don't look as impressive above the, the ground uh, the first 10 years of their life. Uh, but what they're doing below the ground is incredible. They have roots that can go down hundreds of feet. And they basically are the the internet below the soil that feeds all the other plants in the area and they exchange the liquid carbon from the tree uh, for the nutrients from the soil. <clears throat> and so the combo of the uh, native agaves and these type of nitrogen fixing trees uh, is the real key to restoring the environment. I mean, here, this was Originally, 400 years ago, this was savanna. It had uh, oak trees. It had uh, lots of mesquite trees. Uh, it had a different climate. And then the, uh, the timber was valuable, though. The Spaniards uh, basically deforested much of Mexico over the years. And because for the silver mines, they needed charcoal. Uh, over in Europe, they, they loved the uh, mesquite trees and the oak trees for building purposes, building ships, houses, and so on. So once you deforested uh, large swaths uh, of, the, of Mexico, just like the Southwestern US, it changed the climate. And so now the native trees, uh, you know, they need human intervention uh, to reforest. But uh, if you can come up with a system, which we have, that rewards the small farmer or the rancher right away, <clears throat> in this case, because they get low cost animal feed that's much cheaper than alfalfa or corn silage, uh, you can get people to start adopting this. We've planted about 350,000 uh, agave seedlings in the last two years, uh, and we're seeing uh, the popularity of this system now starting to spread we're actually getting inquiries from all over the world now, including uh, ranchers in Texas uh, who would like to improve their pastures and who would also like to improve their ecosystems uh, in general. So did the agave that you planted, 300,000 plants, was that all in San Miguel? All right around here <clears throat> on the farm and in these rural communities. But the, uh, you know, there's billions of agaves growing wild across Mexico. It's just that most of them aren't uh, being taken care of and uh, used in a regenerative fashion. For example, uh, Americans are very familiar with the drink tequila. It's a, it's a booming alcoholic beverage. And so in, the, in one of the states of Mexico, Jalisco, which is where the city of Guadalajara is, you know, you have 500 million uh, blue agave plants growing for this for this tequila industry. Uh, the problem is that they're being grown as a monoculture. <clears throat> you know, they cut down all the pre-existing vegetation. They they row crop these plants, uh, and then when you do this kind of thing, uh, they're at, you know they have to use chemical fertilizer. They use Roundup. <laughs> they uh, basically are uh, degrading the landscape rather than improving it. So the way we're doing it is, 
It's, it's organic and regenerative, biodynamic. It's preserving the biodiversity that's out there, but making use of the natural potential of the, of the plants. And the big breakthrough <clears throat> for us was that these small farmers figured out that the leaves of the agave plant, which are, which are huge biomass, one leaf on some of our plants can weigh 40 to 80 pounds. Uh, but these were always discarded for thousands mm -hmm. of years. They were considered junk. But when farmers learn that you can chop these up real finely, put them in a closed container and ferment them. And then this turns this uh, leaf into a very nutritious uh, supplemental feed for animals. And if you mix things in there, <clears throat> like the pods from the mesquite tree, you actually get a feed that's far superior to uh, alpha, alpha <clears throat> for about a third or a quarter of the price. And alfalfa uses, I think, 26 times more water than hmm. these native desert plants. So. so what type of animals can uh, use this feed? Is it cows, chickens, goats, all of them? <clears throat> yeah, we're uh, uh, right now, uh, cows, both beef cows that are grass fed are eating up to 20 kilos or 45 pounds a day of this silage, especially during the dry season. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we're finding is that it's really beneficial for the animals. There are, uh, there are natural substances. It's a prebiotic, this, mm -hmm. this uh, agave. So it makes them get more nutrition from the grass that they consume. But cows, sheep, goats, uh, our pigs and chickens are also uh, mm. uh, eating this and even our uh, our sheep dogs that uh, protect the sheep <laughs> and the wow. goat seem to like but, it. But can they eat that exclusively or do they need to integrate regular vegetation? It's uh, what we do is both. We both grass feed and uh, feed them this supplement. But if you add things into the uh, into the fermented agave, like the pods of the mesquite, are we grow garbanzo beans because they take less water than mm -hmm. pinto beans. Uh, you can produce something that people that animals could completely live on. Uh, mm. We have we have we think it's a good idea to graze the animals even in the dry season when there's not much vegetation, but graze them a lot less than mm. has become the the custom over the last 100 years, because 60% of Mexico, like the southwestern U.S., is semi-desert, arid, and it's over, it's been overgrazed. And so we need to get back to a regenerative grazing situation where you, you know, you partly rest the land, you're reforesting it, you're using contours that help retain the rainwater, uh, and uh, it's a great regeneration process that we're going to have to see uh, in the United States, in Mexico, Central America, all the different 40% of the world is is called arid or semi-arid, uh, and it's in danger of reverting to outright desert where nothing will grow. Uh, but we can uh, reverse this process uh, using native uh plants and and using some of the organic and permaculture techniques that that uh, modern organic farmers have developed over the last 50 100 years
And when you put the mesquite pods in, are you fermenting those also, or is that something you do after the fermentation process? <clears throat> we do, yeah. And uh, there's other. Wait, so is it fermented or not? Yes, it okay, it okay. Uh, it ferments as well. Okay, good. Yeah, that's what I would think. Uh, and by volume, what percentage of those are the pods that you put in? It's like maybe 10%, 20%? 10 to 20% is a mixture we've been using. And okay. uh, that brings the protein level up uh, above alfalfa. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've got to quit growing alfalfa in the areas of the world that don't have sufficient water. I mean, alfalfa is a great uh, perennial if you have plenty of water and you're not draining the aquifer, but that's not the way it's being done. I mean, in Southern California, uh, the giant dairy farms, uh, the, the giant feedlots that are feeding uh, alfalfa to the animals across the Southwest, uh, these areas do not have the water availability uh, mm. to be doing this. And we've got to stop doing this uh, and start uh, looking at the long-term water resources we have, we can bring more rain. That's what's amazing. There's some ranchers in northern uh, Mexico in the Chihuahua Desert across the border, essentially from Big Bend National Park in Texas. And because they, they have a million acres under rotational grazing, it's savory type uh, holistic mm -hmm. management, they have actually been able to measure that they get uh, about 15 to 20% more rainfall in this area of a million acres than the adjoining ranchers do uh, in the Chihuahua Desert. So you can literally bring back rain uh, to a level that was traditionally there if you uh, regenerate the landscape. And, and you do this not just with you know human ingenuity and stewardship, but the animals are, are totally necessary to uh, speed up this process. We need the animals grazing uh, in areas, even the semi-arid arid areas, but, but we don't want them to overgraze and we don't want to undergraze and we need to use uh, their uh, natural behavior uh, in conjunction with what we're doing to restore the environment. And we can do that. Uh, uh, the U.S. is going to have to do that. We've got 650 million acres of uh, pasture and rangeland in the U.S., uh, which is, I think we've got less than 400 million acres of cropland. So most of the farmland in the U.S., uh, people don't realize this, is uh, essentially pasture land or rangeland, but we're not managing the livestock in a way, or we're not supporting the ranchers in a way uh, to regenerate the soil. Instead, we're, we're still seeing uh, degeneration of the soils. Yeah, so it, it's uh, somewhat surprising that this scenario is uh, pervasive in the United States too. You would think it'd be more for arid countries like Mexico and other third world countries that would have this problem, but we certainly in the US, I'm wondering what type of uh, strategies or collaborations you're developing to implement these uh, uh, approaches into, into their, their plan. Well, we've, uh, I've written, I wrote a book called Grassroots Rising in 22, 2020, where I tried to lay out a roadmap for transforming the US uh, through regenerative practices. 
And uh, I pointed out, it's basically, how do you finance uh, farmers and ranchers changing the way they do things uh, and, and moving to a regenerative practices to put uh, more fertility into the soil, more carbon into the soil, more water retention into the soil, prevent the erosion and so on. Um, well, market demand uh, is one of the factors that is driving regenerative farming uh, and ranching in the US. There is a bigger demand for grass-fed uh, meat and animal products uh, than there was uh, 10 years ago, and it's growing but it's not growing fast enough. Uh, basically feedlots and factory farming still dominate. Uh, another uh, way to regenerate, another source of funding for this is government action, you know, from the, from the local to the federal level. And, you know, we've seen a little bit of that, but basically uh, our government, USDA is still, still subsidizing degeneration, factory farms, chemical intensive agriculture, GMOs. Uh, but what's interesting lately is a development in the private sector and with private capital. Now the, the traditional uh, the traditional image is that you got the tree huggers and the environmentalists over here and then you have the, the evil corporations over here, the fossil fuel companies, the timber companies and so on. Um, but recently, there, there is a percentage of people in the, in the corporations who understand that we can't keep degenerating our environment and leave something, you know, decent for our kids and our grandkids. And so you have the development of this, this regenerative thinking on the part of some financiers, some corporations, and so on and so forth. So I'm pretty excited about this, that uh, the, there's a new type of asset being developed on the stock exchange and uh, being uh, the rules are being written up by the Securities and Exchange Commission. And these are called natural asset stocks or natural asset corporations. Now, this is a, this is a type of stock different from anything we've seen up until now. Uh, the government of Costa Rica right now, for example, is uh, putting all of their, uh, all the lands that the government owns down there, the forests and the, and the farmlands, uh, they're incorporating it into a natural asset corporation. And what this is, is that if you're a manager of a pension fund or an investor or a corporation, uh, you can invest in one of these natural assets where you're not buying, you're not owning the land, you're not uh, having a lien on any uh, uh, of the income that comes from this land. What you own are the ecosystem services that the land is providing. So for example, uh, you've, got a, you've got this system of agave and uh, mesquite trees. Uh, we are incorporating now to where someone can own the uh, the environmental services. In other words, the amount of water that we're saving, the amount of carbon that we're sequestering, the amount of methane uh, that our animals are releasing, they're releasing less when they eat this uh, fermented uh, silage. Um, 
So you can, instead of going to a corporation or a foundation looking for a donation, what you do is you say, would you like to invest in a natural asset? And then over time, as the uh, forest matures, as the system matures, as you, as you regenerate the soils, your asset is worth more money. So if you choose to sell that asset, you can actually make money uh, off of it. And so this is very appealing uh, to Wall Street at this point. They're really worried about their reputation, as they should be, uh, but they also are not going to change overnight what they're doing. Uh, but this is a way that they can pull some of their assets out of financial assets and put them into ecosystem assets and still get a return on their money. But this is like organic certification. You can't, you can't just say that you're doing uh, benefit to the environment uh, and then get people to invest in this benefit. You have to be able to prove it. And so we've developed a system of verification that is quite uh, accurate scientifically. And what it involves is you measure on the ground uh, things like the numbers of plants, the size of the plants, uh, you do soil analysis and so on, the traditional things you would look at. But then with, with modern technology, it's possible uh, to fly a drone uh, over the same area and take photographs. Uh, and then you compare your measurements on the ground with what the drone is seeing through their multiple uh, cameras. And then you develop a, an algorithm and progressions to where you can then fly the drone over other area, uh, another area that you haven't measured on the ground, and you get the readings on how much, uh, how much carbon biomass is in the environment. Uh, you get a reading on, um, you know, other ecosystem services. So it's, uh, we have to be, and we're using blockchain technology uh, that will verify all these different calculations to where there's not going to be a way to uh, very easily cheat on this. So if someone invests in a natural asset, uh, you're going to be able to verify uh, several years down the road at a very low cost uh, that the asset has improved or it has, uh, you know, degenerated. So, so is uh, OCA going to these Wall Street firms and educating them on this investment opportunity to catalyze this regeneration process? Uh, we, they, came up, they came up with this idea uh, partly on their own because, uh, I mean, everyone's heard this, carbon credits and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, carbon trading emissions trading have gotten a terrible reputation and deservedly so because most of them are just corporate greenwashing and most of them don't really uh, result in improving the environment or drawing down carbon. Uh, but it's just like, what if organic, agri organic agriculture and biodynamic agriculture are really a good idea, obviously, uh, more nutritious food, better for the environment, better for stabilizing the climate and so on. But what if all the organic certifiers in the world were totally corrupt, right? And you couldn't believe 
in any claims in the marketplace uh, because you didn't have a system of certification that was valid and that was verifiable. Well, that's the situation now with so-called carbon credits and ecosystem restoration. Uh, but there are a group of us who are determined to use, uh, uh, you know, use the technology that's at hand uh, to have a system of regenerative practices that are verifiable. I mean, we can, we know if you uh, add fertility to the soil, carbon, organic matter, and so on, that you you turn the ground into something more like a sponge instead of a tabletop. We know how much water you can retain in the environment instead in the groundwater instead of it uh, eroding off or flowing off. Uh, we know uh, how important it is. Photosynthesis is the key to putting more carbon back where it belongs in the in the trees and plants and grasses and soil uh, where it used to be instead of uh, too much in the in the atmosphere. But we have to build to uh, certify and guarantee these. We can't be paying people, which is happening all over the world right now. Governments are taking money. Uh, saying they're going to reforest, uh, they go through these these uh, intermediaries who slough off a lot of the money. Uh, when you look at what's happening on the ground, uh, ninety five percent of reforestation projects are, are don't result in reforestation, uh, and we can correct that uh, with modern. Uh, some of these modern uh, technologies in combination with what we're already doing. Blockchain and drones, uh, the artificial intelligence of drones, even though I don't like uh, uh, some of the aspects of artificial intelligence, this is one that will be really valuable. We need to be able to determine the state of the environment uh, uh, at a more detailed level than satellite photography uh, can tell us right now. And with drones, we fly a drone, we've got a $10,000 drone uh, here that is really different from the most of the drones people have seen, but it has three different cameras in it. And if you fly it, you know, we fly 50 meters over an area, uh, it'll count the number of uh, agaves, it'll count the number of trees, uh, and if you program it uh, to what you've uh, learned on the ground, uh, you don't even have to do on the ground experiments. So that's what we're we're looking at. We went to all these uh, essentially uh, they call themselves carbon registries, but these we they're ecosystem certifiers around the world. We went to all of them, the the major ones that exist, and we told them about this agave. The potential of agave, it's one of the 15 plants in the world uh, with the highest level of photosynthesis, uh, and it can draw down a heck of a lot of carbon and produce a heck of a lot of biomass, even uh, in harsh conditions. Uh, they do their photosynthesis at night of these plants. Uh, that's one reason why they're really different from other plants. But what we found was they don't know whether to call an agave. Is an agave a tree? Is it a perennial? I mean, it's certainly not an annual. It wasn't classified in these registries. And so we've managed now to convince them that, look, here's, a, here's our lab 
uh, results. Uh, the amount of carbon in each plant, uh, there's a way to do this in a regenerative way. So we've convinced uh, several of them that this is an interesting way. And now we're proceeding to uh, prove the concept. And uh, every day, technology is getting better. Uh, and uh, this blockchain uh, accounting system, which enables you to uh, put a lot of different factors into an ecosystem service, uh, is uh, going to be a key part of this. So when people say, are you really are you really greening the desert? Are you really uh, restoring the environment? Are you conserving water? Are you producing uh, important food for uh, animals and humans? Uh, you'll be able to prove it, you know, in one package. So there's 125 million, 125 trillion dollars apparently out there invested in financial uh, assets. Uh, most of this is degenerating the planet, but there's uh, there's $125 trillion worth of natural assets that are not valued right now. So what we believe is that approximately 1% of uh, the financiers uh, and the corporate money managers and pension managers right now are quite concerned about the environment the same way we are and are ready to start moving there's a portion of their assets. We only need to move 1% <clears throat> in the next decade uh, to get the ball rolling because the benefits of regenerative food and farming are far beyond uh, even just the ecosystem benefits. As, as we've seen during the pandemic, uh, sales of organic food have grown substantially. Sales of dietary supplements have grown substantially. Uh, a lot of people have learned how to, uh, the joys of cooking at home again, uh, instead of going out to restaurants. And so we've got a, we've got a potential market demand. Uh, we just need to get the ball rolling and believe it or not, uh, corporate managers and financial managers uh, are going to help us do this uh, as we move forward. And these natural asset corporations, which aren't, they're not registered yet on Wall Street, uh, but they will be soon. And everyone will, uh, investors will have the opportunity to move part of their assets into, from away from financial, just strictly financial assets into natural assets. So the, say the, the first country in the world that's announced they're going to do this on a major scale is Costa Rica. And so what you will be able to do as an investor, say you're an airline that has a lot of uh, <clears throat> greenhouse gas emissions, and in Europe, an airline has to buy carbon credits <clears throat> to offset some of their emissions. Well, instead of some bogus reforestation program that doesn't really reforest, uh, some of these airlines are going to invest in Costa Rica in uh, reforestation and regenerative agriculture projects that are verified and certified. So that's that's the way it will uh, it will roll out. And uh, if government can't get itself together, uh, I mean we work we work with local government and a little bit with the state governments uh, here in Mexico, but we haven't gotten any action from the federal government. 
But if governments won't change from subsidizing degeneration to regeneration quickly enough, well, we need the private sector. And there's plenty of money out there to regenerate the earth. Uh, we just needed to, to have a system where you can actually uh, benefit from it, uh, not only in PR terms, uh, public relations, but actually you can make money off saving the earth if you have a proper regenerative system to invest in. Because the, you know, there's 570 million farms across the across the earth. Uh, it's three billion people are farmers or rural villagers, but they most of them, they don't have the capital, they don't have the money to change the way they're doing things and do it right. But if you give them the the uh, capital, the uh, overhead costs for doing this, uh, a lot of them are ready to go right now, as we're seeing. Uh, so, and they would get the overhead costs from these investment strategies. That's yes. Okay, and what, what is the role that OCA is playing in this to facilitate this, this whole strategy? Our role, our role, you basically need some, uh, you need some intermediaries in this uh, process who can train uh, the farmers on how to do this. Uh, we have training sessions all the time. People come into the farm. They see what we're doing with the agave and the mesquite. They go back to their home communities and they try to find the uh, resources. So uh, we, we believe you need to set up a model right here. I mean, when people come here and they've never seen a sheep or a goat or a cow eat fermented silage, I mean, you can explain it all you want to over a Zoom call and you know over the telephone and if you give a talk, but seeing is believing. When they see our livestock gobbling up uh, something that they thought was garbage, you know, was just something to be thrown out, the leaves of the agaves, they sit up and take notice. Uh, when they notice that our animals are fatter and healthier uh, than other animals in the, in the area during the dry season, especially, they take notice. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, the Okoto, the Okoto system, which is this, uh, system of taking limbs off of mature mesquite trees and turning them into saplings. Uh, this was never done except by one professor at a university a few hours from here who recently passed away. Uh, but thank goodness, some of his students uh, and some of the professors at the university uh, retain that knowledge. And so we're putting it into practice. But our role is training, educating, publicizing. I mean, this whole system of agave agroforestry, uh, only one farm that we've been able to find has been practicing this in Mexico uh, over the last 12 years. Well, they happened to come to a workshop on how to make organic compost here, and they told me about it. They said, Ronnie, have you ever heard of fermenting the leaves of these giant agaves? And Animals love them and they're, they're cheap and so on. I said, no, but we went out to their farm, <clears throat> but they had been doing this for 12 years and no one had ever heard about it uh, because they didn't have websites. They didn't have newsletters. They didn't have a global network like Regeneration International to talk about these things. So our job is to identify the best practices of regeneration, 
give highlight them or publicize them and then work to see if we can't get financing uh, to uh, scale these up. So that's what oh, we're- So you mentioned Regeneration International. Uh, can you get more specific on what that organization is and how long it's been around? Yes, we farmed in <clears throat> 2014. It was actually uh, uh, Mercola and uh, OCA that incorporated Regeneration International. We incorporated it in uh, Minnesota. Uh, and the idea was that we were going to, uh, uh, we, we attracted a bunch of very well-known organic uh, pioneers and practitioners like Vandana Shiva's on the steering committee. Andre Lowe is uh, our international director who was head of the uh, iPhone, the International Federation of Organic Ag Movements before. Uh, you know, we got Rodale Institute. We got uh, <clears throat> all these uh, savory grazers and biodynamic farmers involved. And so at this point, uh, we've never raised a whole lot of money uh, for RI up until the present time. Uh, uh, thank you, Dr. Mercola, for being one of the, the few who supported us. But we have developed a global network. <clears throat> we have a regenerative farm map that's uh, pretty interesting, especially for the U.S., where it lists all the regenerative farmers and ranchers uh, across the country. Uh, and we've developed a network of 400 affiliates in 60 countries who have applied to be affiliates who are all doing regenerative work. So what we realize now, <clears throat> you know, in 2014, when we first set up, uh, and at the climate march in New York City, uh, what we said is, look, we got to change the global discussion on regenerative, regenerative agriculture and climate. Climate activists aren't talking about agriculture and uh, organic proponents aren't talking about climate and ecosystem services. So we feel that after seven years, we have changed the global conversation. I mean, everyone nearly has heard about regenerative food and farming at this point. Uh, there's a lot of people thinking of adapting it and so on. But the second stage is you have to look around the world, look around in the case of the U.S., look around the, at all 50 states, all 3,200 counties in the U.S. What are the best practices that are out there right now? Where are the Gabe Browns and and so on across the country, and what are they doing? Once you've identified the best practices, the next uh, the next task is publicize them so that they become uh, better known. Someone like Will Harris from uh, Georgia, who uh, I know I visited uh, with with you with the Mercola team before, is getting getting well known. But the bottom line, it finally comes down to is like. Can we scale up these practices uh, and make them the norm eventually instead of just the alternative? Uh, and if we're going to scale them up, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is money. <laughs> you know, farmers don't have the money for the most part to make the changes uh, that will be appreciated in the marketplace, uh, but uh, that's what we're working on. And, and as we started recruiting into uh, Regeneration International, some allies who had uh, experience in the banking sector, uh, people who had, you know, they made their money on Wall Street or 
They've made the, they've made their money in transnational corporations, but you reach a point. Uh, they told me where once you have enough money, uh, you start thinking about some other things. And there are, believe it or not, there's a lot of bankers and uh, pension fund managers. There's a lot of corporate executives right now who are trying to figure out how can we work together? You know, environmentalists, farmers, ranchers, investors, uh, public policy people. And uh, since the government uh, seems to be, <clears throat> governments across the world seem to be lagging behind at this point, still caught up in special interests, still caught up in politics as usual, business as usual, uh, we're excited to see the financial sector um, starting to move. And, you know, some people are going to, some people are going to use these natural asset stocks and natural asset corporations just to greenwash themselves. Uh, there's going to be some fraud, just like there is an organic. Uh, but we also have the potential for a system that really works, that's really verifiable. Uh, we've got these new developments like blockchain that can conceivably be better than the type of organic certification we've had until now, because they can have more factors in their soil health, water usage, uh, biodiversity, you know, the, the wildlife survival, uh, changing, changing the climate uh, that can be verifiable. So I'm uh, oh, what, what, very what excited you, about the future here. And so what have you done so far and what does the future hold and what's the plan to implement it? <clears throat> Well, we have started working with some of these uh, global certifiers of regeneration. They call themselves carbon registries. Uh, we found that they're, uh, they're, they're open to what we're talking about. They're used to dealing with uh, systems. They want much bigger systems of land uh, to uh, certify than you know, a bunch of small farmers together until now. Like I said, they don't understand uh, some of the plants in uh, uh, semi-arid arid areas of the world, but we're making headway. We found a there's a carbon registry in uh, out of Houston, Texas, called B B as in the letter B carbon. Uh, and we found that these folks are very interested in correcting the mistakes of carbon offsets and carbon emissions trading. They're, they're a nonprofit. Uh, they have uh, members of the oil industry uh, on their board, but they, they don't like the fact that, that uh, you know, carbon credits have gotten a bad name and justifiably so, because there's not a system out there. It's just like in the organic movement. You know, we're trying to tell people there's certain types of certification of organic, like biodynamic, you know, that are better at this point. Uh, but we don't want to throw out the whole idea of organic <clears throat> simply because there's people cheating and there's governments that are allowing this cheating. What we want to do is make it better. You know, when a product says it's organic on the label, it really should be, you know. And uh, some of these new techniques like blockchain are going to help us do this where you can go like all of us, you go to a restaurant and you, 
you see salmon on the menu, you know, and you ask them, hey, is this, uh, is this farm salmon or is this, uh, uh, you know, wild salmon? And it would really be nice uh, to build to know, you know, before you even went in yeah. there. That's a, that's a big challenge. I, re, I recall a few years ago, I was at, uh, speaking at an event with Dr. Klinghart. We went out to dinner afterwards with the, the other speakers. And we, the, on the menu was organic salmon. So I said, hmm, that's interesting. So I asked the waiter, what, what was this organic salmon? Ostensibly the healthiest item on the, on the menu. And it turns out it was farm-raised Atlantic salmon. But, <laughs> yeah. but the... the that there is no regulatory agency or, or penalties for lying on a menu, which is you know one of the comments you made earlier was the direction of having people cook more in their home, which I think is a very healthy process because it's the rare restaurant, the rare restaurant that has healthy food. Yours was one of the only ones I was ever at where it was like unbelievable. Unfortunately, it's not open now because of the well we, we moved it here we it's right down oh, it's the there court. now you did okay good because that was like that's actually one of my favorite restaurants ever it was <laughs> phenomenal i mean it wasn't fancy or anything but the food was the highest quality yes and we believe that we believe that let's use our intelligence there's there's some technology out there that uh that we can use to our advantage and uh we can guarantee that when something says organic it's more nutritious. When something says organic, the animals were raised in a regenerative way. Uh, it was not raised as a monoculture and so on and so forth. I think we're going to see another level of uh, certification. I mean, we already have it to some extent now, regenerative and organic certification. But the problem is it's, it's too expensive for most small farmers and most ranchers to be able to obtain this type of certification. Yeah, so you're referring to organic and regenerative? So that you're, are you referring to the regenerative certification? Yeah, or there's- Organic there, or both? Both. Uh, there's a higher level, sort of like biodynamic certification. There's mm -hmm. ROC, regenerative organic uh, certification now. But the problem is if you're a small farmer, to get afford. that type of certification, you can't afford to do it. So it has to be, uh, you know, partly subsidized, but just simpler. I mean, yeah, if, yeah. You, if you can fly, if you can fly a drone over mm -hmm. the farm and it can tell you how much uh, above ground uh, biomass and carbon there is, and it can tell you that the organic material in the soil, that's a heck of a lot cheaper. And you can't... Yeah, but but that's not certifying if they're using uh, chemical fertilizers or. Pesticides. Oh yeah. No, it, we don't have one of those drones yet, but I'm told that some of the very latest models here can detect uh, amazing things in the soil. And well, they... I, I, I can imagine it's not the actual drone itself, but the sensors they're attaching to it, like the cancer yeah. uh, cameras with specific sensors yep. that can detect those things. Yeah. And, uh, but none of this would matter if there weren't, you know, the public, basically what we've done over the last 30, 40 years in terms of public education was certainly Mercola leading the way is that everyday people now understand that organic biodynamic regenerative food is better for your health. 
whether they can afford to buy it all the time uh, is another matter. But we have educated the public to want a better, better food. Uh, and we've, we've also educated the public to realize that farming does have a big impact on the environment, you know, and if you care about clean water, uh, for example, uh, you better care about regenerative uh, agriculture. Uh, if you care about animals, uh, you better care about how factory farming is an abomination and so on. So we've created, I believe, the uh, the demand, the potential market demand. Yeah. We simply have to have the products available and we yeah. have to stop these governments from subsidizing degenerate food and farming. And the market yeah. has a potential to correct a lot of the problems out there uh, if we'll work together uh, That's right. to do that. So, which is what we're doing. And one of the reasons, the primary reason we're doing this interview today is to support regenerative agriculture uh, and request and your specific support because I'm certainly matching the funds that you're raising, but I'm sure people were curious to know what supporting the, this regenerative agriculture movement will look like and what their funds would be directed towards. So if you can expand on that, that would be great. Yeah, the, the, the real lack most groups in the world that care about regenerative food and farming are uh, strapped for cash. I mean, literally being able to pay their staff. Uh, for example, here, we've got 50 people at this research uh, farm in Mexico. Most of them are, uh, they're either graduate students from uh, the agronomy schools that uh, live here. We put them up, we provide housing, we pay them a, a wage, uh, mm -hmm. but it, it, it costs money to do this. And it costs money to uh, the school buses that come in with the kids on them. And, you know, the, the small farmers who come in to see what we're doing. And uh, this is what we use our money for. Uh, OCA uh, in, the, in the U.S., we have always uh, tried to be an international uh, organization as well. And so part of the money we raise uh, goes to our, you know, we have one staff person in Africa, we've got one in Southern France, we've got one in Australia, uh, we've got one in, uh, you know, Argentina. And uh, we don't have a lot of money for this, these overseas salaries, but we do have some. And that's what we use it for. I mean, I spend half my time uh, exposing the bad stuff, you know, uh, mm -hmm. the pandemic for the last two years has been a major thing that we've had to write about. But we also, uh, I spend half my time on the positive solutions. Uh, I, you know, you get frustrated after 50 years in the organic movement of asking the government to please stop allowing you know, cheating of, of standards. And so uh, lo and behold, we're getting to the point where we're going to be able to measure a lot of these things scientifically and verify them. And if, if USDA organic uh, seal isn't enough, we'll have another seal that you can get behind. I mean, this day and age, you can uh, uh, know where each piece of meat came from, each fish 
you know, each vegetable and so on and so forth. And that's what we're going to have to move to. Is there nothing wrong with organic, but we need organic standards that are truthful and labeling. You know, we, we have unfinished business in the U.S. because the government special interests have blocked uh, mandatory labeling of GMOs. Uh, they, they're not requiring labels on nanotechnology. Uh, they're, you know, lying about pesticide residues and so on and so forth. We have to keep fighting that battle for truthful labeling and transparency. Uh, but we also, you know, thank goodness, we're at a point where we're going to be able to have a, a better method, not only of farming, but of proving that this better method is being uh, employed. All right. Well, that's terrific. It's uh, doing a great work there because we know if you're going to take control of your health, you have to have healthy food. It's probably the single most important element of the equation. Uh, and make the right choices and you know, stay away from these vegetables, these seed oils. Can, even though they're not GMO, like uh, if, even though you eat non-GMO seed oils, like sor corn, soy, safflower, canola, it doesn't matter. They're really intrinsically bad for you. So you want to have not only high quality food, but food of, of the you know, that's raised with uh, regenerative components. And, you know, you're doing a great work there to make sure that that process is facilitated. Uh, it's really intriguing that you're reaching out to the financial sector to take advantage and leverage that to direct some of their funds into these projects. So it's really exciting. So um, that's what we're seeking to uh, help get help with your support to uh, get behind this and help make this regenerative agricultural movement more effective and pervasive and widespread so that we can have the healthiest foods possible and, and mitigate some of this environmental damage. So thank you for everything you're doing, Ronnie. Well, thank you.